Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. And before we get started with our podcast today, we want to remind you that the content of the podcast can be emotionally difficult for anyone and is potentially triggering for survivors of trauma. Please don't hesitate to reach out for support if you need it, whether to friends, family, or anonymous hotlines. You also can find resource information for survivors on the Take Back the Night Foundation website. We'll give you that address at conclusion of the podcast. Thanks so much, Claire. And for all of our listeners, as we always do, we're going to start out with one of those amazing letters I received along my own journey as a survivor from someone else who was sharing their story with me, um, oftentimes for the first time. So welcome to a Dear Katie letter. Dear Katie, hello, Katie. How are you? I'm sure you receive many letters a day from people who admire you, and I wish there was some way that I could make this letter more unique, but I don't know how. So I will just get to the point and let you know how much you have inspired me. On November 9th, 1995, you came to my university and gave your speech about date rape. I attended the meeting that evening, and I will say that it will be a date in my memory for the rest of my life. Katie, I was raped three years ago, when I was a sophomore in high school. On November 9th, 1995, I finally confided in somebody whom I trusted very much that I had been raped too. This friend has written to you also. I guess what I would like to tell you is that hearing your story that evening made me realise that I could no longer hide from the actuality. When I had been raped, I did tell somebody, and I was not believed. From that day on, I told myself that I could never tell anybody else, and somehow, some way, it would go away. I figured I could block it out and forget that it had ever happened, but I didn't. It haunted me every day of my life, and still does. You gave me strength and hope. I saw what a strong woman you are, and I knew that there had to be a way for me also. I wanted to talk to you that evening after your speech, but was afraid my friends would be suspicious. That's where my friend whom I confided in comes into the picture. He has helped me tremendously, and I will always love him for it. One week later, I told my family, got into counselling, and have been involved in a women's support group meeting. It has been a long process, and I still have a long way to go, but I feel I have already begun a new life. Thank you. The purpose of this letter is to let you know what a great job you are doing for victims of rape. You have made a positive difference in my life, and for that I am grateful. If you have helped one, you have helped many. Quite a few of my friends have even woken up and greatly been involved since they saw you talk at our school. I wish I would have sent this letter to you sooner, but it has been a step-by-step -step process for me. I will be the first to admit that there are days I wish I could just forget and not talk about it any more. But I know now that I'm doing the right thing. Once again, Katie, thank you for helping me become a survivor, not a statistic. Forever grateful, Crystal. Wow, so powerful always, always. And today we are glad to have with us Liliana. Um, Liliana, welcome. And thank you for sharing your journey, your story with all of our listeners today. Um, I think it would be great just to give us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Hi, my name is Liliana. I am 25 and I live where I was born and raised in Lawton, Oklahoma. I am currently in my senior year of 
college and I have been married for three years and we have a wonderful dog named Toby who is a golden retriever in the center of our world. Oh my gosh, so perfect. Mm-hmm. I love having a center of your world, um, especially if it's furry. <laughs> um, so congratulations also on you know having a successful relationship for the last three years. We'll get to that later. But um, if you don't mind, let's start out where it is that your journey began that brings you to the microphone today. Um, so when I was younger, I was probably about five when I feel like my world turned upside down. Um, my mother and my father actually to this day hate each other very, very much. Um, and so when I was little, that turned into me being in the middle of them. And, um, my mom hated my dad so much that she told me that my father had sexually molested me when I was five years old. I actually have no recollection of it. And I have a wonderful relationship with my father who I, only just got to know when I turned 18. Um, And it has been a long road for us to recover and to uh, have a relationship when it could have been tarnished when I was so young. So when I was under the impression that my father had done such vile things to me, um, I immediately grew up in my mind and I felt like I was a 30-year-old woman in a world when I I wasn't even six years old yet. So being very young and having those feelings, I seeked out a father figure that I also unfortunately fell in love with at the age of nine. And uh, this, this man had actually taken advantage of me. And for a year and a half, he sexually molested me in my mother's face um, before school and would start when I was in fifth grade. Um, And it ended actually very very badly when I contracted two STDs from this man. And whenever my my mother, I would say in air quotes, found out, she said that she had an inkling that it was happening all along. And um, when we're, whenever we tried to report it to local law enforcement, we found out that his two sons are actually on the police force and his brother is a detective here in town. So the case was thrown out and... Um, it never even saw the light of day. And this, this man lives less than a mile from me at my, at my college. And I see him probably once a month in my community. I'm looking so forward to graduating college so that I can finally, you know, move out of here and, and put all of this in the past because there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him or it or what could have happened that could have saved me. I'm curious what your mother, she she said she had an inkling of it. Did she take you to the police? I mean, I'm curious about her response to you. Did you feel supported by her? Well, I was very sad because I really did love this man. Um, I'm going to call him Jim. Um, I really loved Jim a lot. And um, I I had just entered the sixth grade. And so I was finally realizing that I actually, you know, like people that are my age, And um, I ended up liking somebody who was my age and I really started to feel like it was wrong. So I, my mom just saw me crying one night and I, and I, I didn't say anything because she was like, what's wrong? And I didn't say anything. And she said, did Jim do something to you? And all I said was yes. And we, she waited 24 hours before calling the police. And when they came, they took a report and told me to go to the hospital and get a rape kit done. I remember feeling very embarrassed 
because for the whole year and a half, I, I never thought that I could say those words out loud or ever tell anybody. It seemed like so impossible. So the fact that I had said something, I just felt like my entire world was going to explode and and I was going to be in so much trouble. When things started with Jim, did he slowly introduce this stuff to you? How did it begin? Do you remember? Yes, um, it was very slowly introduced because I looked to him as a father figure. He was my mom's coworker. He also had a wife at the time who I had a I had a quite in my opinion diabolical mother. So I not only looked for a father figure elsewhere, I also looked for a mother figure elsewhere. And his wife was that for me. Um, and so it started just by me hanging around them. And when his wife wasn't around, it was it was it started as just like what I would think as fatherly affection to his daughter. And then when nighttime would come around and I would sleep over at their house, I would sleep in the same bed as them. And he would put his, his feet underneath my butt area and just move them around. When I moved on from fifth grade going to middle school, they took me on a trip with them to go visit his, his daughter. And um, that is when I think he felt very comfortable with I'm not going to tell anybody because on the way there, um, his wife was sleeping in the car and I was in the back laying on the ground trying to sleep. And he began to touch me that night and um, I didn't say anything and I didn't even know if I wanted to or if I should. But it it started when I was in fifth grade. Um, Liliana, when I'm thinking about your story and, you know, how this man was able to take advantage of you right under the nose of his own wife, right? Yes. Um, And in the face of your own mother, which, you know, is a much more complicated, perhaps part of this, you know, situation you you were going through. But I always liked us to think about the bystanders, the people around us who, you know, our listeners, a lot of them are survivors, but a lot of them are you know, just walking around the planet, um, you know, encountering people like this man and encountering people like, you know, a coworker who could be doing something similar. If you mm-hmm. think back now, um, I'm curious, what sorts of things do you wish someone else would have noticed? Well, I wish that my mom would have noticed, first of all. Um, and if she did, I wish that she would have done something. I was in sixth grade whenever this was in full swing. And I was showing up to school in clothes that I had worn for the last like four days. And I was tired and sad and not participating. I didn't have any friends. So I just wish that even my school would have done something. I think a couple of my teachers knew how my home life wasn't very stable at all. And I, yeah, I I really just wish that my school would have done something. There, There was one time whenever I was in the process of telling and, um, you know, telling all like the fine details of things that happened and things that I would say trophies that he had from me. Um, I told a a guidance counselor that he kept a bag of my underwear in the shed in his backyard. And she did call my mom and tell her and they did contact the police, but I just don't understand how that also wasn't taken into evidence or because they did find it. So that was the only time that I was ever I would say in contact with a guidance counselor about anything regarding this. And it was me going to them. They didn't come to me. It sounds like once again, the fact that he um, had family members in the police department that must've 
made things come to a halt. You know, when you you told your mother, is that was that like it finally just stopped then? It was like we were meeting each other halfway. So if I stopped, he would stop, if that makes sense. So whenever I was feeling bad about it and basically realizing this isn't right, I'm I'm honestly a little girl. I should be with people my own age. I notice I don't have any friends. I'm very isolated. That's whenever I just basically stopped talking to him altogether. And I contemplated for a good week or two on what I should do. And that's when I told my mom and he never reached back out to me. So that allowed you to feel responsible for maintaining the relationship, even though he was the adult. Yes. Who else was in your world at this time, Liliana? You, you have your mom, your dad separated. Any friends or siblings? I have siblings from my dad's side, but I was very much kept away from my father when I was younger, so I don't know my, my sisters very well. But my mom does have a, another su- a son, and he is 40 years old, and he has cerebral palsy. He doesn't talk, and he can't walk. So he lives with my mom, and I grew up t- uh, helping my mom take care of him. So he was the only other person in my life other than peers at school that were not very consistent or supportive at all. I I guess let's talk now maybe about some of the longer term impact on on your life. You know, you alluded to having trouble with relationships um, with people your age, um, especially romantic ones, but you're married now. (laughs) Um, Maybe we could talk a little bit about that part of your life and dating and how much dating did you do before you got married? Was it hard? What was challenging? What was complicated for you? So after that happened in high school, I would say that I had a partner for the every year <clears throat> until I graduated um, from high school. Um, and I would say that a, a lot of those relationships were trauma bonds and they only lasted as long as they did because of how strong each of those bonds were. And I think that I picked people or I was attracted to people to be with that could try to understand or made me feel like they believed me. But um, there was always something in those people that related to Jim. And I think that I got a grip on understanding green flags versus red flags in relationships when I started college. And I started taking a few basic psychology classes and some child psychology classes. And I would say that I got to where I am now in my healthy relationship with my wife because we we have a lot of good communication skills and we share everything with one another and we believe in the power of therapy. And um, I would say that's my answer to that question. Oh, that's a great answer. So mm-hmm. helpful. And I love how um, you you both embrace the, you know, therapy and talking things through and you know, having that vulnerability with each other and, and really digging deep and sharing um, the scary parts um, and, and really bonding together. Um, what are some of the things your wife does that I, are some of the highlights for you of being helpful? Um, so like I said, I, I think about Jim and the things that happen between us every single day. Um, and so there are days where I will want to talk about it until I'm blue in the face or I'll cry about it or I'll say, oh, it just doesn't bother me anymore. But obviously that's not true. Um, And my wife, their pronouns are they, them. So I'll be referring to them as they, them. Um, My wife, they are always around to listen and to talk about it with me and to always end it with trying to have positive coping mechanisms and 
I would say that that's the biggest thing that they do for me is, is listening and being there and not ever shutting me down or making me feel like I need to suppress my emotions. And are there things that are especially hard or triggering for you um, in terms of smells or sights or experiences? That's Um, funny that you say that. Um, I have a lot of memory of how he smelled or his home or I guess just the way life in general was like, I have smells that are attached to that time period and every so often they will come back and it does, it does bother me. It's, it like makes me feel like I'm literally back in 2007 in that time. The smells are probably the worst. Yeah. And, and, and another thing, places are also like landmarks. They're a very big trigger for me because I'm still in the same small Southern town where it happened And um, every day I drive by the place where he sat me in his car and told me I was like his young girlfriend. And, and every time I see a white minivan, my, my, honestly, my vagina feels cold and I feel sick and those things really affect me. And they always have, it was only recently I realized like, oh my God, this, I feel these things as a result of what happened to me. And that's not normal. So the fact that it's not normal, all of this bothers me more. Because when I was so young and going through all of this, I felt like this is everybody's reality. I was wondering if we could go back for a second and talk about you know how therapy has had um, such a positive impact for you. Are there any particular types of therapies that um, you found the most useful? Um, yes. When I was in high school, my mom actually took me to a Christian counseling center. And that was just not right for me. Um, I I feel like I have a lot of trauma as a result of that experience. So now I prefer to find counselors or therapists that are not religious based. I, I, I want them to basically publish or say out loud that they accept everybody so that I know the person I'm sitting in, sitting in front of isn't going to judge me for, for being bisexual and having a wife and, Mm -hmm. you know, living a, a air quote, different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's really what I seek is somebody who I know accepts me for who I so, am. So LGBTQ plus affirmative is, is really critical. Oh, what yes. about, um, what about sort of methodologies or, or styles of counseling? Is there anything that you, that worked for you or that you know of that worked for you? Um, well, I like to just talk, talk out loud and I have a hard time expressing how I feel or what I want to say. Okay. So it's better for people to have probing questions ready when um, we're talking about trauma that I went through, because, um, you know, when I was young, I didn't really think about it in such like a very critical way. So when people have questions that they ask that lead to certain areas, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's really good for me in therapy. I, w- okay. I guess you would I guess you would call that talk therapy then. So where do you think you are now? You'll be graduating pretty soon, it sounds like. Yes, I'm graduating this coming May. Once I graduate, I will be um, building an acting portfolio because I have a huge dream of becoming a very successful actress. And I was just recently in a movie a couple weekends ago that was in a film festival. So that really takes, you know, the focus off of all the negativity in my life. Um, So that's that's really what I'm throwing my life towards is becoming an actress. Um, Liliana, I guess I I have another question for... You know, we talked a little bit about the people around you who weren't helpful and who did more or less turn their heads and look the other way or, 
not pay attention to the important, um, <laughs> many, many clues going on in your world. Um, you know, I want, I wanted to, I had a friend in college who also was a survivor and she told me she decided never to date men again, ever. <laughs> um, that even, you know, the whole male body was a trigger for her. Um, do you feel like it, it, is that something you'd feel comfortable talking about? Because I, I, you know, I love that you now have a wife, um, and you talked a lot about how important being accepted and embraced, um, for your, you know, sexual identity is, is to you. Do you think it has much to do with your own experience or this was in you all along? That is a very good question. I've thought about that a lot, but the truth is I, remember having feelings for like my second grade teacher who who was a woman you know and that was that was just so natural to me and it's never been a question I've I've always struggled with I can't be I can't be bi because you know there's a lot of biphobia in the world so it's either I like men or I like women um so I would flip-flop a lot but no it's it's always been in me that um I I am I am bisexual I I and that, that took me a while to accept about myself. Lillian, what I like about what you just said, though, is it enables you to have a freedom associated with your sexual identity, too. Meaning you're never going to go back and say, well, I only married my wife because I was running away from my abuse, right? You're freed, you're, you freed yourself from any sort of attachment there. And I think that's really helpful because so often, sometimes when we keep running away from the things that are triggers or we're afraid of, eventually when we might heal enough, um, you know, we, we dive deep into them, um, back, back to them. But it sounds like it, what I really wanted our listeners to think about is that same question and how you answered it um, very solidly yourself. So hopefully that helps and feels good. Yes, thank you. It does. The other question that came to my mind was uh, thinking about acting. There was such an uplift in your voice when you talked about it. It was like the high point for you so far in our interview. There was a lot of energy there, except the, you know, the furry friend in the center of your world. But I like thinking about what it is about acting that really draws you. Do you feel like any part of your life experience is going to help or benefit you in the acting world? Oh, yes, I actually do. My um, acting coach, he has this saying, I'm sure he heard from people who taught him the reality of doing. And that is a method of acting where you take your past life experiences and you apply that to the situation you're in with the script or the scene. And you make that situation come alive and you're able to live what happened to you or what you went through through the character of someone else. And for me, that is what I'm most excited about is the process of healing through that or getting to share my story inadvertently. Um, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what characters I will play and whose stories I'll get to tell while also telling my own. You know, Liliana, you're still, you know, relatively young <laughs> and this experience still took up such a large portion of your time so far on the planet. Is it hard to see into the future where you might be at another 10 years or 20 years down the road um, with the healing journey that you're on? Do you feel like, you know, how would you describe or envision what that's going to look like for you in 10 years or 20 years? That was something I always struggled with. 
seeing me living past the age of, I would say, 25. Um, but recently, since I'm getting so close to graduating, which I also never thought would happen, I'm learning that I have, I do have so much time left because since I was so young, I felt so much older than I actually was. And that really did take a toll, I would say, on my body because I, I, I felt tired for so long. I felt like I wasn't me. So now that I, I'm catching, basically catching up with myself, I f- I'm beginning to feel my age. I'm beginning to feel 25. I'm beginning to feel like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to be a mother in a few years. I'm going to have a bachelor's degree. I am going to have so much that has nothing to do with my past or where I am now. And that's what I'm most excited for is, is creating a new life for myself once this chapter in this place is closed. I also like thinking, you know, for our survivors in all different ages and stages where they are too, there's a lot of fear, I think, for many of us when we might consider having our own kids and are we going to be too protective? Are we going to allow them to be in vulnerable situations? Are we going to, um, you know, interview and background check everyone they go out (laughs) with, you know, um, what, what do you imagine your parenting style to be like? That's also another great question. I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to go to college and take psychology classes um, because I've taken I've taken a, a handful of child psychology classes that have to do with education and whether you're going to be a teacher or you know a parent. The things that I've learned are great for any any person to know. Um, and I think before these classes, I would have been a, a helicopter parent, and I definitely don't want to do that. So I feel like my parenting style is is going to be... What advice might you have for other survivors? I would say that it's okay to conceptualize what happened to you. It's okay to build a scene in your head of what happened to you and to, to think about it as much as it naturally comes to you. But I think for survivors, it, it's important to remember that we have so much more to our lives than what was dealt to us. Try to remember who you are. And if you don't know who you are, just try to live and find out who you are and build a future for yourself that has nothing to do with your past. I heard a quote recently that says the best justice is knowing. And I think that's really important to me because even if nothing ever happened to the person that abused me, I have justice because I know the truth and I'm able to share my story and my voice. And for parents, I I want to say to listen to your children and Create a space for them to come to you about anything and allow them to feel safe and allow them to trust you because that's what I needed was an adult to trust that was going to take care of me. Thank you very much for that. Definitely, Lillian. This has been such a fantastic, um, again, story, your journey, um, where you've you've already been able to get to in such a short amount of time. It's just such a, I think, an uplift for so many. Um you, you had such a lot of abuse to start you out in life. And yet, yet you are still wanting to be a mother. You're still embracing the idea of having a long-term partnership. You have a vision for your future. And so I think we land so solidly with you um, in, in your journey where you are now and cannot wait to hear um, kind of the next chapter as you head out to the uh, Golden State um, and try your acting chops some more. Um, so it sounds like such a great plan and um, many, many rainbows ahead to you. So thank you for joining us. And thank you for our listeners for taking some time out of your day to support Liliana, to listen to her story, her journey. 
Um, this has been another Dear Katie podcast. So thank you. And don't forget, if you need any information about resources, please visit TakeBackTheNight.org and also for information about the Legal Support Hotline. Remember that we're never alone. There are many walking with us in healing, in supporting survivors, and in ending sexual violence. Thanks so much, Claire, for again journeying with us. And together, all of us will shatter the silence and end the violence. So we look forward to another uh, podcast next week with Dear Katie. So thank you and tune in again.